listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. <clears throat> Two-thirds of us are here. One-third is... Uh, the bro cream kid. Gosh, I, you know... <laughs> I had second thoughts about sending a, a good Southerner up to New York. Uh, I, I just, I don't, or actually he's a New Yorker that, that moved down here, for, that yeah. lives in the South, so right. maybe it won't be too bad. He'll be all right. They'll, you yeah, think he'll be able to take care of himself? Bre- Brenda's with him, so okay. she'll do a good job. You know, it's it just like Steve to do exactly what he did and, and leave us. He met uh, Mr. Jeff Lee. Uh, Several months ago, I think it was, uh, in yes. the horseless carriage. Uh, the Brass club, and Gas uh, Tour. The Brass and Gas Tour. Uh. And um, then as soon as we lined Jeff up, Steve says, i got to be out of town. But <laughs> no, no, no. That's all right. I, I don't know. He said something about your deodorant or something, Jeff. I, I don't know what the conversation <laughs> was about. But anyway, we're delighted to have Jeff Lee on in uh from our northern... Uh, from Halifax, yeah. Nova Scotia. And, uh, our northern border. Yeah, and drives a 1914 Hudson, and I'm very envious because those were good cars. Well, if you're nice to Jeff, yeah. really nice to him, the next time you're up there, he might take you for a ride. Yeah. Jeff, welcome, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Classic show. Car Show and uh, America's Web Radio. Thanks for doing this. Good morning. This. How are you? Yeah. yeah. We, are, well, we always enjoy... Uh, talking to folks up north and in fact we had uh, a gentleman on from what the Cabo Beach Concours about a month ago uh, I can't think of his name are you familiar with that show I'm familiar with the show I haven't been with it to it yet that's in yeah. Ontario and I'm right. yeah. really on the east coast I go any <laughs> farther east to get my feet wet Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about Many, many years ago, Halifax used to get a lot of cars from Europe imported there. Mm. And it was always fun to go up there in December and January, and a shipload of cars had come in, and the batteries were all frozen, and they had not put antifreeze in them. And it was yeah, well, fun. they still ship uh, a lot of cars through Autoport in Dartmouth, just across from Halifax. Right. They come in by yep. the shipload. But yep, that's you it. You never see them now. They just all get reloaded and transferred and keep moving. Yeah, well, back in the in the, in the the 70s, some of these cars didn't sell that well, and they kind of sat there in the port for a while. and Rotted. Yeah, a- a- aged. Aged. <laughs> aged, so. Anyway... Let's talk about your hobby up there because, as I mentioned, we've uh, just, you know, had one little discussion, and you live in such a beautiful area, and you've got such a wonderful car, so kind of tell us about the hobby up there in Nova Scotia. Well, I'll tell you a little thing. I'll tell you a quick story, then um, also from yesterday, I went up to New Brunswick, our next province, they had a... um annual flea market that started out by the local car club as a car um, hobby um, flea market and then it turned into sort of a general flea market these are for a fundraiser for their club and how about this i came back with a barn fine lozier that was made in, in canada what a lozier yeah a real lozier yeah good heavens but oh. it's only got two wheels 
Oh, uh oh. Is that the bicycle. front wheels or the back wheels? <laughs> oh, to load your bicycle from before they made cars. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. So that has to be late 1800s. Yeah, 1895, 1900, and made in Canada, which makes it special to me. Yes. Uh, Jeff, had someone brought it to the to an auction, or how did how did the... Uh, it was at a booth in the flea market, and I like CCM, which was a four, uh, also built the Russell uh, car in Canada. And I watched for CCM bicycles. I've only got four or five, but uh, I saw this one. I went around the whole flea market, came back the second time, and then looked a little closer. And it was uh, actually says H.A. Lozier, Toronto. So they actually built their bicycle company started in the U.S. They built a branch in Canada for about five years, and then sold out to CCM, which later or Canada Cycle and Machine, which later became CCM Bicycle and Sports. Did. Did the owner, and I know, I, I don't know much about it, but I, did the owner know what he had? Uh, just that it was an old wood rim bicycle, and we both looked at it and liked it, and I'm still learning about them myself, so it was one of those things that I was interested because I thought it was CCM and looked closer, said, no, this is just before CCM, and I consider myself quite lucky. I got it at a very reasonable price. Wonderful. Good. a bit, but it's very, almost miss, almost complete except for one pedal. Wow, that that that's absolutely amazing. And CCM, of course, makes great hockey equipment. Mm. So I can I can attest to that. I bought a lot of it for my son for a long time. So you were waiting until the classic car show on America's Web Radio to announce your your barn find, huh? Is that is that right? <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah, just unloaded last night. I thought you'd find it. Get a smile out of it. Oh yeah, car first. Yeah, well, that's the first thing I thought of. It, and I was you were going to be my new best friend if you bought a new or bought a Lozier, but you still are. So that's neat that you have a bicycle and. A lot of people don't realize they had wooden frames and, and wooden wheels at that time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Boy, don't tell the guys from American Pickers. They'll be up there <laughs> trying to buy it from you. Yeah, that's a keeper. Oh, that's great. Um, let, let, let's. Wait a second. I, wait. I, I, okay. Jeff, we, we, we don't know each other that well. I assume you're married. Actually, I'm not. That's probably how I get to keep my courage. Oh, that's, uh, that's where we differ. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you answered that question. <laughs> We're getting to be like click and clack, David, you and yeah. I. <laughs> well, let, let's t- tell us about the evolution of, of, the, of, of cars up there, because a lot of people don't realize also that cars were either kit cars meaning knockdown cars that came from Europe and were assembled in Canada, but there were also cars manufactured in Canada, and there were a lot of American cars with different names up in Canada. But what, would you kind of start at the beginning and help us along a little bit? Um, well, that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot there, and I can only cover bits of it. Sure. Um, but in many ways, yeah, the I mean, we, cars kind of caught on a little later here. Um, very early on, though, we had some pioneers, you know, that, to one person building it in the backyard and one of the very first ones was uh, was known as the Seth Taylor Steam Buggy which was built in 1867 in Quebec and really looks like a buggy but it had a beautifully built hand built two cylinder steam engine underneath the chassis and a boiler on the back and that car actually survived except for the boiler um, when the gentleman put it away before the turn of the previous century and there wasn't enough there for a junker to take it and it got picked up in the 60s 
restored, and now eventually found its way. It went to the U.S. and came back to Canada, and now belongs to the National Museum in um, Ottawa. But at least locally, uh, we had two early vehicles um, in Nova Scotia that tried to go, get, make a go of it. One was only a, like a one of, approximately 1900, and they made what they called a Victorian, which was the gentleman bought a two-cylinder engine and took sort of a horse buggy body and built himself a very early little tiller, uh, tiller steered car. And he built two, and one of them actually survived and now is in a museum in Stellarton here in New Brunswick um, on display. And in Nova Scotia, there was one manufacturer tried to actually make a go of building full, full-blown car manufacturing from about 1910 to 1914 called the McKay uh, car. And that car, um, they only built about 125, but they were trying to build a fairly high-end, you know, two to three thousand dollar car. And selling them in Nova Scotia when there were barely 200 cars in the whole province, so they didn't do very well. And sort of two cars survived. There's one in Oshawa in the uh, Canadian Automotive Museum that was restored with a, the body was gone. So it was restored with a roadster body, and another uh, touring car that was built from the remains of a car here in Nova Scotia in the uh, Museum of Industry in Stellarton. So there, there was a couple of those. The other ones, um, Henry Ford, it, it was uh, oh, the gentleman's name in Canada. One of the it was a developer in Windsor who looked over at Henry Ford starting out and said, "Oh, I think that's a automobiles are the wave of the future." David McGregor, I think it is. Someone will probably correct us later. And a sense got a license agreement, and they built uh, Ford of Canada starting very shortly after Ford of USA. Yes, yeah, I remember and yet, that. The, the Canadian Fords are kind of slightly different. Mm-hmm. At least a lot of the early ones, because they brought over all the heavy mechanical parts to uh, beat the import duty. Because the import duty here was very high. It's like 25 or 30% on a full car, but if you brought parts, it was only 10% or something like that. Joe, so Ford used a lot of chassis, and then they built the sheet metal and the bodies here, so they have little differences. Um Jeff does, and does Brian McLaughlin of McLaughlin, what eventually became McLaughlin Buick, made a license with Durant in 1908, brought over Buick chassis, and built the McLaughlin Buick uh, exclusively for 10 years on a contract for parts with a similar yet different look to it. And eventually uh, that became, he took on Chevrolet and eventually became General Motors Canada. So there were some interesting stories there. Um, DCM, who we were talking about earlier, was one of the few manufacturers that made a go of it as basically a 100% Canadian car called the Russell. And they started producing that in 1905. Uh, got a license around 1910 for the Daimler sleeve valve engine and built the, Daimler, the Russell Knight for a few years. But between economic pressure and a tight market, they'd started to, to, to shut down just at the beginning of the First World War. And since they held the uh, Knight engine patent for for Canada, when Willie's Knight came up to uh, manufacture in Canada, they had to buy out the rights from Russell. So there's a lot of interesting stories, and there's a few others that started production but never got very far. Um, it's interesting. So yeah, did, just just did, the evolution. Did they? Uh, hmm. Did does Canada or Canadians in the past when all of this started? Did they have the love of cars and 
uh, a, a want of getting from point A to point B like like we had in the States? I think so. Um, other than it caught on a little later, it was definitely the same interest that, you know, now um, we had the bicycle craze in the 1890s. People got interested in mobility. Like, I can get past, I can go farther than I can walk in a day. I want to go see what's on the other side of the hill. So was, so was weather, your all's climate, any limitation at all? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, we get a lot of areas in Canada, you know, you get the heavy winter. If you get anywhere from one to four or five feet of snow, uh, you're back to the sleigh. So, I mean, most of the cars were, had to be put up on stands in the winter because you just couldn't get through. Um, so it was very seasonable, like parts of the U.S., but the western Canada, I think the car really took off because it was the prairies were so big and so open that if you could get a car, you could really get somewhere in it. And you could start to get farther than you ever could with a buggy and see the neighbors and see the town and things. But it, it caught on here a little slower, but it got here a lot eventually. Um, can we go back for a minute? Because the thing that's always intrigued me and you explained it to us, it's the duty so that the parts came over and they assembled in Canada. But I I would assume that the Model T was the primary car that was sold in Canada at the time? It, like in the U.S., um, it's a little slow getting going. It's actually up till just after the Model T came out, uh, when I did some research here for the registration, say, in Nova Scotia, uh, Buick, because they were already had a big standing with McLaughlin Buick, and McLaughlin was a well-known carriage maker. So there was a lot of McLaughlins, um, surprisingly some early Cadillacs, uh, uh, some other ones did fairly well, but the Model T started to take off here in the early teens, and as the sales went up, they made more and more of the car in Canada, to the point by the late teens... I think they basically made 100% of the car in Canada. So they, mm-hmm. they started on foundry, mm-hmm. the foundry and the stamping plant and other things in the uh, 14 to 20 period. Okay. And then, yeah, Model T's sold here like crazy, just like in the U.S. Yeah, was, yeah. They were very well, affordable compared to a lot of other cars. Yeah, and then Henry also went into the U.K. and built cars. Yeah, yeah. and early on when um, McGregor got the first license to obey the agreement with Henry Ford uh, Company, he got, in a sense, exclusive license to buy the parts, but a distributor license for Canada and the British Commonwealth. Oh, okay. The British Commonwealth, once you were over here, it was like favorite uh, nation trading status. Excellent. Uh, uh, Jeff, I hate to do this to you, but we sure. got to take our first break. So if you'll hang in there, we'll be back on the Classic Car Show with Jeff Lee from Canada right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. 
That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. And before we get back with Jeff Lee in uh, Canada, I wanted to uh, once again thank our sponsors, Passport Transport, that uh, is uh, has been with us now for a little over a year, and also J.C. Taylor Insurance that's been with us ever since Steve was born, I guess. Yeah. Thereabouts, yes. close to yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we, we do appreciate... Uh, uh, passport transport and do you see their uh, green trucks up in Canada uh, Jeff I haven't here they probably will run into Ontario more but um, probably not a lot of business for them to come this far east just not that much trade yeah. well we we need to activate it so passport yes. yeah. <laughs> they were they were the first covered transport carrier yeah. mm. and they're, they're it's a gorgeous green and I want to get the number of that green because I just think it's a beautiful. Are you going to paint a room or? No, 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 no. Your garage, your garage door, maybe. No, I might shoot a few body parts, not uh, my uh, body, on one of the cars uh-huh. with it. Okay, uh-huh. well, okay. Anyway, back to Canada. Yeah, well, they, I, uh, Jeff, we were we were on Model Ts and the fact of how it had evolved, and then you mentioned that Mr. McGregor had, I guess. The rights to all the colonies for distribution? Yeah, they came through as the um, initially distribution rights for the British Empire. So that's how a uh, lot of wow. <laughs> parts went through Canada or were made in Canada and got shipped to Australia. So most of the Australian Model Ts were from Canadian parts. And the early ones to Britain were from Canada until they actually started a uh, factory in, I think, Trafford Park and started manufacturing directly in England. So yeah. Wow. Um, that's one of the reasons why the Canadian Model Ts uh, have four doors. Oh, okay. And that's one of the distinctive things, because the Canadian ones, uh, like Canada, some days we couldn't make up our minds. So the middle of Canada <laughs> drove on the left of the road, and B.C. on one coast, and ourselves on the other coast drove on the other side of the road. Oh, gee. <laughs> now, see, that that's something I didn't know. That's amazing. Yeah, so we, were, we actually drove on the other side of the road till 1923. We were the... I think for the last province to change. Wow! So which side? So now Florida you're on the had to build cars. They're both left-hand drive and right-hand drive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and rather than build two versions of body, all the bodies have four doors. Oh my! That, that's amazing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm awestruck by. It. I never realized you had right-hand drive cars in Canada. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, it throws people off. Yeah. Well. So let's keep talking about the evolution then, because to me that's that is really an interesting part of this whole show is how, how cars evolved over the years, and of course then how, how much the hobby's grown. But 
I'll let you keep going because you you seem to have a pretty good line on things. Yeah, well, been, you know, before we came back, it mentioned things like the um, later on, you know, the kind of Canadian models of right. some right. of the U.S. cars. So the, if partly we had a little different market, a little different interest, so many of the manufacturers actually produced slightly different models, which were sort of a Canadian only. And some of that started even in the 1930s. Um, where certain things, like I think some of the Canadian Pontiacs had like a Chev body and a Pontiac front. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, so that, it, yes. If, you know, if you're in Canada, it could make it really challenging to know which one. You know, if you're trying to restart a Pontiac, did you, you have to know if it's made in the U.S. or made in Canada because the parts don't always interchange. Cheapers. <laughs> okay, and Jeff. We did that right up until the, uh, the early 60s, you know, and we had the Meteor. This is yeah. the Ford Meteor and the Ford yeah. Monarch. Right. Uh, I think that was... Pontiac Parisienne or one of them. Yes, Parisienne. available in the U.S. And yeah. A lot of things like that. Well, in and the that fu- evolved a bit in the 60s when they, um, when they started renegotiating some of the trade guy, uh, trade practices. So they went from basically tariff on imported parts to what the Auto Pact, uh, which was a forerunner of some of the NAFTA work. And under the Auto Pact, it was um, quite interesting. There's a good book out on it if you go to look it up. A uh, lot of negotiation there over, you know, most c- countries, you want to keep a certain amount of the business in um, in your country, and others are kind of wanting to export. So they kind of trying to make a longer story a little shorter. Where they ended up with was a, a practice I kind of like, which they said, let's look at equal value. So, you know, if your market in Canada is a $100 million market in automobiles, Canada would like to see about $100 million worth of work done in Canada. So they made a, a, a sort of a free trade system where you know you could put an engine plant in one country and a body plant in another, and as long as the and the parts could flow back and forth with no uh, duty, looking at an overall balance in value, so that everybody got a piece, an equal piece of the pie that's equal to the market that they're in their country. And the Auto Pack was formed in the 1960s and ran for over 20 years, I think, fairly successfully. Mm-hmm. Jeff, let's go back to the turn of the center at the early 1900s for a second. You know, the joke was around, you know, with the the Fords was what color of black would you like? When did Ah. Canada go to uh, colors for their cars? We've stayed in color longer. Um, Production line was a little slower, and we... um we weren't making quite as many cars, so they could take a little longer. We actually kept color up till about 1918, and I think the U.S. went black in 14 or 15. Right, yeah. So we, there was only one or two colors. I mean, the uh, 14, like 15, we were blue, basically, for another couple of years. And then I think we went all black, just like the U.S., and came back around 25 into uh, multicolor. That's amazing. That's and a- after the T, did the A evolve at the same time in like twenty eight? Yeah, as it did here. Okay. Yeah, and very very popular here too. Um, and by that time, the, the American car and the Canadian car—the only place you can tell them apart is where a few of the castings where they say "made in Canada." Mm-hmm. And we used the Robertson screw. Hmm. Okay. And the story behind the Robertson screw—if you've ever seen it—it's a square drive. It's not like a slotted screw that's a slot. Right. The square drive screw, um, Mr. Robertson in Ontario designed it. He was a t- actually stole tools and then developed the Robertson screw. And it could 
with the square drive, you stick it in a screwdriver, it doesn't fall off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could put in and you could assemble your, um, your machinery faster. One story was he um, licensed his um, patent to England and kind of got a bad experience. So he became a little more controlling over his patents. And later on, um, he started negotiating both with Ford of Canada and Henry Ford in Detroit, who liked, hey, look, I can use these Robertson screws and I can make the body 20 minutes faster than I can with a slotted screw. Amazing. And Ford of Canada bought onto it, but uh, the story goes that Ford uh, Detroit, who also had a gentleman who was a little authoritarian, um, <laughs> wanted to own the patent, and he said, no, I'm not selling it. I'll sell you st- the uh, screws, but I won't sell you the rights. So Ford of Canada, he never could make a deal with the Detroit, so they stuck with the slotted screws, and Canada went with Robertson screws right up until the early 30s. Wow. One of those little differences in, the, in manufacturing. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, we've kind of talked about the evolution a little bit of the cars. Where do your clubs go? I mean, have you always had an antique car club like the AACA here, or do you have chapters of the AACA up there that you're active in? Yeah, well, let's talk. it's a good thing to talk about that. The hobby here started a little later than the U.S., but um, stories I've talked to, some of the better people I've met that were earlier collectors, they started. some people started to collect cars oh, in the late 1950s and early 60s, and there was a Model A club going in Halifax um, in the late 50s, which evolved into the Halifax Antique Car Club in 1964. So it's one of the longer-standing clubs um, that's been going, and a few other clubs around the provinces uh, are and around the our province, so they sort of formed on a town basis because we're we're not a terribly big province, but there can be sixty miles of nothing between the main towns. So back then, a lot of the clubs started very locally, and we're quite active for some time. You know, with me, we're mainly collecting um, some Model Ts, Model As, and nineteen thirties cars. Uh, I joined myself when I was still in high school in the late seventies to the Halifax Club, and at that time, anyone driving 1950s cars was kind of looked at a little sideways, because that was the new, <laughs> evolving hobby. Right. Jeff, we, uh, you, you said something that that struck a chord. Uh, we started the show uh, uh, with Steve uh, back in 2005, and one of, the, uh, one of the missions of the classic car show has been to try and keep the interest and get the interest of of young folks, uh, teenagers and so forth. You said you joined when you were in high school. Um, what's it like in Canada? We're, we're fighting a continual uphill battle here. Uh, the classic car hobby is fighting thumbs on the couch with the television and the Xboxes and all the other whatever else they are. What's the situation in, in Canada with getting young people interested in uh, in cars and, and the history of cars? I think it's much the same problem. Um, I've seen it in the clubs. I've been along to the Halifax Club now for a long time. And before we start our other one we'll talk about later, the problem is, it seems to be that um, you look back in the 60s, you see people taking their family camping in their old car. Uh, so a lot of the people that were in the hobby then were 
late 20s, 30s. I started in high school um, and started on my own. I didn't. Um, I'm not a second generation collector or anything like that. But a lot of those people in those clubs, they just seem to stop bringing any new people in for 10 and 20 years. And now many of the members of the clubs, they're all made up of retirees. There's almost no one, um, even under 50, let alone trying to get younger members. Wow. So Let's, yeah, uh, we're at that challenge, too. And yeah. not entirely sure how to solve it. Let's hold that, and we'll come back after our second break. You're listening to America's Web Radio, the classic car show, and we've got Jeff Lee from Canada on today and Mr. Jim Weber at the round table. We'll be back right after this. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have... The top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with our guest today, Jeff Lee from Canada. And we're talking, uh, We were as we left for break, we were talking about the interest of young people. And obviously, from what you're saying, Jeff, you all have the same problem that we do here in uh, the States. Our answer to it, and I don't know if this would be the same in Canada or not, uh, but our answer to it is getting the grandparents involved, taking their grandkids to museums, taking them to see the, a portion of the great race or explaining what the great race is all about, uh, and explaining where the history books today, I don't, I, again, I can't address Canada, but I can address what's going on in the States. Um, we seem to overlook a bit of history in our history books, and yet, you know, uh, they touted the train, but then the real thing was the independence that the car brought to the United States, that you could leave your driveway and wind up on the West Coast or the East Coast or whatever you wanted to do. You could do it yourself, and you didn't have to be dependent on anything. But it's uh, kids are overlooking this. Uh, in fact, we have a problem now that... A lot of young kids, in the when I was 14 years old, actually when I was 12, I was ready for a car. I, you know, I lived and died until I could get a car. And now kids are 16, 17, 18, and they seem to care less about a car. And uh, so, I, you know, is this the same? We're facing the same in Canada. We're seeing a lot of the same here. I mean, the um, 
just a, you know a few people around running what we guess we call the tuners, which are the modern cars that are all souped up. There's always a few there. But yeah, the, uh, just not the real drive that I want to get my license. I want to go for a drive. Um, and even the use of the car. So if I go a little sideways a bit and see, I'll tell you the sort of the story of our uh, maritime pre-war registry, which is trying to get a little bit of not just the kids in it, but it's trying to get even some of the older owners of the cars moving again to show that, yes, you can have fun with these vehicles. So it's, it's generating the interest that they're more than just something that's sitting gathering dust in a museum. You know, um, there's, there's going to be something, too, like <clears throat> Jim and I both, and, and certainly Steve, you know, my thing when I was in high school was every Friday afternoon I was under the hood and tuning my three deuces getting ready for the weekend. There were two things that you did on the weekend as far as I was concerned with the car. One was uh, we'd use our traffic lights as uh, as uh, starter trees, and the other other thing you'd use that back seat for, we won't get into that, but we'll let everybody's imagination, and, and that's what you had a car for, and that's what you were a teenager for. And uh, I don't know what the heck kids do today, but you know, at the cars today, like I look at, at my 2016 and I have no clue. If you ask me to tune the thing, I'd say, well, let me take it to the closest shop because I, I couldn't tune it up if you if you put a gun to my head. But when well, it I was fun back in the 60s, you know, so maybe we've outsmarted ourselves. And I do agree. I think that's, um, well, part of the problem that's had an effect is the modern vehicles, you can't debug them without a computer and they're also very reliable so you don't run into problems usually too often so it's not the same thing of well I can go in the backyard fix, uh, I'm going to buy a, a cheap car fix it up in the backyard and go have fun um, some of that today is kind of gone and trying to get um, like I say, people off their thumbs and their tablet has been challenging Yeah, um, we've yeah. seen things here that where uh, even the owners of the cars started just putting them away because if you have the older car you know the traffic's different um, they're intimidated to get it out, they don't want to go by themselves and it's also getting the vehicles out I think and when people see them moving it'll help generate some interest Yeah. so the, uh, like there's a gentleman here who started um, very much into Model T's and he started a uh, like a, a Model T drive night just at his local town because he lives in a small town <laughs> um, about an hour from me. And they were to went out and they'd take cars and actually go to the seniors' home and you know, give rides. And then they'd go downtown in the evening and give uh, rides to the public. You know, they blocked off a couple of streets, did about two blocks around town. That's neat. Yeah. And take people for a ride to show, hey, look, you know, they, these cars run. They have you can have fun. You can play with them. Um, they got a lot of interest, and the it's been about four or five years now. And I went to uh, the last two with my Hudson, and it was kind of nice because this community, by the time we were done, there were about half a dozen or eight car owners, most you know, combination of Model Ts and the Essex and the Hudson, um, giving rides out. And the local town, there was like a there was a good fifty to hundred people with in line waiting patiently to get a ride in one of the cars. And were there a lot of children? A lot of good. Um, good public relationship yeah. too how many kids do you think walking down the street would know how to drive a standard shift car 
Not many. Zero, because every carjacking here that's a standard shift car, they can't drive it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, the, most of the young people we have in our group, uh, they're second or third generation. Um, so there are a couple, you know, that, that come along that are now in high school age. And when they started out, I mean, they, they were riding in their parents' Model T in the car seat. So they're like everybody's grandkids, and one or two of them are building Model Ts slowly. Um, another, some cases, you know, even here, young is talking in the thirties, trying to get someone into it. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um, so it's tough. I'm, I have a, I do have a lot of uh, appreciation of what the Model T Ford clubs are doing because they have youth class, and they've got the driver award if you can get the young. You know, how's it work? Young driver award if he drives for a day, or they drive for a day. <laughs> wow! And they do things like that, so they really see what they're doing, and I think you know that's they're trying to hold on to the future. Yes, and they're having some success. And how do we, the rest of us, start to do some of that too? Well, when you go into like the town you were just in with the cars and giving rides, are there a lot of little children there, like grade school and, and middle school? Quite a few. Yeah, yep. and right from um, probably from almost kindergarten age up. And along with their parents, which helps because you got to get the parents on board. Sure, Je- Jeff. Yeah, do you have a Do you have a museum close to you? Pardon me. Do you have a, a classic car museum close to you? No, n- nothing like that. There, um, there were two two small museums on Prince Edward Island, which is one of you know our neighboring province. And one is since closed; the other's only sort of there. But they don't have what you would call the big display of cars. They have a nice display of cars, but from what I hear, is they're not getting the attendance anymore either. Hmm. Um, a lot of museums are even are struggling to get attendance of, of almost any kind. <laughs> we have a nice museum of industry, which has our McKay car and our uh, Victorian yeah. car and some trains and various things, and too often you drive by and the parking lot's practically empty. What you ought to do is, is go in at some point and tell them, hey, you know, there's a, there's a radio show about classic cars out of Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, what we found, we tried to work with, we interviewed, my God, for a year, uh, a museum a weekend almost. Yes. And, um, you know, the museum directors seem to have this attitude is that we're here, people should come. But yet, they're the best kept secret in town in many cases because they don't promote. They don't do anything to, you know, Simeon promotes like crazy. Yeah. Dr. Simeon. And a, a couple of museums in the states, they're doing quite well because they are continually promoting. They've taken social media. They've promoted themselves. But by the same token, probably uh, nine out of ten think, well, because we open the doors, everybody should know about us, and, and then they go under. So up in Canada, maybe you ought to talk to them about uh, promoting themselves. You know, if they'd call, we'll put them on the air. Yeah, or, or do you ever do a car club event at a museum? Have you ever, has your club ever considered going over to Prince Edward Island to the museum that's partially open? Um, not so much like that. Now, we did uh, we'd do a tour once. We ended up at the Museum of Industry here in Nova Scotia. What we've at least, or what I've been trying to do, first of all, is even get, trying to reinvigorate the older car hobby because most of the established car clubs were reaching the point where 
they were all 1950s, 60s, or modified cars, and anybody with an older pre-42 car started to feel left out. Um, everybody runs down the road at 65 miles an hour, and I want to drive at 35 in my Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go out anymore. They, they, they honked at you and waved, huh? <laughs> yeah, and it, it just people started putting their cars away. So what we started was a... Um, or was, what I wanted to start originally... <clears throat> was even a networking group to, like, say, putting a roster of, like, who, who's out there that has a car like you that's got an older car and might want to share their information. And I wrote a bunch of people that they knew still had their cars that had dropped out of the hobby. We sent out about 30 letters and got 15 or 20 back, and at one point I thought I'd be happy if I had you know, 20 or 25 people on a roster list with a network so I could talk to other owners. And one of the gentlemen sent back a donation and said, sign me up. And what it became was our standard. And we started the Maritime Pre-War Registry that we put out a newsletter. And every two years we put out a roster. And the idea is to promote our segment of the hobby and to get owners of the cars out, say, look, let's use them, let's preserve them, let's have some fun. And the idea kind of caught on. So um, we don't have a formal membership dues. We're very, very informal. We put uh, uh, all our things we do of donations or our, our sorry our newsletters and runs are funded through donations. We started off with 25 people. I thought it'd be good. It's spread now. We've got four of our maritime provinces. We have about 225 people on our mailing list. Over 500 cars in the roster. Went from almost nobody driving. To last weekend, we had our, our annual weekend tour, which is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday get-together and drive tour. And we had 40 cars. Wow. 70 people. And, you know, 10 years ago, one person had a trailer. There were 16 people that have gone as far as bought trailers to say, I'm going to go, I want to go have fun. I want to go on this run. I'm willing to trailer my car there. Because, you know, it's, cost, uh, it's an extra investment to go and buy a trailer to take your car to be able to go enjoy it, not just go down the street. Right. Do you also, when you do your tour, like I know when you were down at the Horseless Carriage one, I believe you stopped at some museums, but didn't you also stop uh, at, well, no, school wasn't in session, but I know when school's in session and Steve goes on an AACA tour, they do stop at schools and let the children get in the cars and show them the cars, and I'm just wondering if that wouldn't be something that would help you if you did one when school's in session up there. We haven't done it yet, but I really do like the idea. Um, I've gone along when I was in Maine two in 2014 on a, a horseless carriage one and two cylinder tour, and they'd arranged that, and I think it went over really well because the um, they planned ahead with the local school and met with them and took the kids for rides and I think every child in the uh, in the school got in line and got a ride and it was a really great uh, relationship building. Yeah, it's wonderful. We're, Jeff, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Certainly. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport.
45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. We've got Mr. Jeff Lee from Canada on today. And we're talking, well, we're sort of talking uh, Canada versus the U.S. as far as uh, cars go. Interesting. I I guess, you know, from what you're saying, Jeff, maybe I've been so naive that I guess maybe it's a, a international problem of, of well, getting it uh, kids like kids yeah. interested in cars. Well, the, the neat thing that, Jeff, we were talking about before break is this maritime pre-war car registry. I, I just think that's a neat thing and how it's evolved up there. And it sounds like you had a successful tour. What's the next step with your group? Well, part of what we're doing is like the um, because it's no there's no application, no membership fee or anything. If we meet anyone, whether it's word of mouth or they find out about us, because we're it's mostly a word of mouth group that's grown. If we just say if you're interested in these cars and you would like to be on our mailing list, just say yes, we'll put you on. And we give them the newsletter and we'll keep in touch. Uh, we do do an email chain, but say only about. A quarter of our memberships actually on computers because some of them are uh, getting up there. And if we can say, hey, look, if they see us having fun, then they're more likely to finish their car and come out and have fun too. So I guess we're kind of going after the uh, car owner first to show that it's fun and support those that want to restore their car and go out and do it and show it can be done. And if they, if people start seeing us having fun, they come out. Yes. Yeah, and well, it, and it's brought a lot of cars back out that just had not been out in years. That's amazing. You know, one thing about our uh, our buddy that's not here today is that uh, Steve is probably the numero uno promoter of yes, son, you can get in my car and see what it feels like. Yes. And and the owner that says, oh my God, don't touch my car, don't come close to it, don't breathe on it. They're really hurting the hobby as opposed to helping the hobby. And like uh, like you were just mentioning where people come out to drive the cars and all this or get a ride in it, I think that's fantastic, particularly if you can get the uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old to take a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's well, the I big thing. I think it's thing. great. And 
I'm sometimes guilty of that myself, of which letting people crawl over some cars I don't mind. Other car, other ones I get a little touchy. Uh, well, when you when you see that ice cream cone coming towards you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean my Hudson's a, a, a poor restoration from the '70s. And it's never really been done. You can't hurt it. So that's the one I'll go take people for rides in and things, and we have a great time. Um, I have a one-cylinder Cadillac that took me half my life almost to restore. I'm very careful how I let people in it because it's also a very hard car to get in and out without because of step plates and fenders. That's understandable. Show people, yeah, like get in it, sit behind the wheel, have a picture, see what it's like. Well, uh, here's the here's the other thing uh, that uh, to me you're sharing, and when you share something, I think people are appreciative. And and that's that's the way to do it, and to let them get in the car and and well, I, I, I'm going to give you an example. The Gilmore Museum has a Model T driving school. They teach people how to drive a Model T because even I can't remember the last time I was in a Model T and, and drove it. I think it was a friend of mine's Model T Speedster in high school. So, and I've been in Steve's. And I'm not sure I could work it now, but I don't think you have to go that far. But if you can at least show them how different it is compared to your your one-cylinder Cadillac, and I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, your one-cylinder Cadillac is probably pretty primitive, isn't it? It works well for what it is, but even compared to a T, yes, it's primitive. Yeah. You know, Jeff, as I was sitting here, I was thinking... Or I was going to suggest, but better than what I was going to suggest uh, is first, if, if you can, your club and 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 just a hobby in general can get a relationship with Canada's media. And I don't know if it's uh, CBC is out Canadian Broadcasting yeah. Yeah. Corporation, or CBC or local radio stations, and we we but, haven't but the other thing route too much yet. But let me let me interrupt one second. Instead of that. Uh, our president has <laughs> has shown the power of social media, and if you took uh, one of your members and said, "Okay, let's stream this on YouTube, let's stream this on Facebook Live," uh, it, it could make a world of difference. I mean, absolutely a world of difference, and really start your own little uh, television network station, whatever you want to call it. And get the word out. Get people to looking at what you're doing. Let them see that that you all are having fun. I was just thinking of the case of uh, our our friend uh, Steve and Brenda. Uh, they, <laughs> my wife would never do this, but Brenda is a love and and she loves the hobby as as Steve does. And they dress in in many occasions when they're on uh, at a at a event. They they dress as of the period, and if um, you know if you had some people that would drive and dress, and and the period, the goggles, the hats, the the the, the coats, the coats, the and long all that, coats, yeah, you know, and and let kids see, and you could do this, you could do the whole thing on YouTube or on Facebook Live, and uh, I, I think the who knows where it'd go. 
Yeah. Yep. And we do do, uh, we have been promoting the period dress when we're on tour. And on our last weekend tour, there was eight or nine people, uh, you know, some of the couples. It really draws the couples in, too, with the dress. Yes. Yeah. And Brenda does such a great job of that. And I know she's done seminars. Um, I have a question for you. Will you be at the AACA annual meeting in Philadelphia in February? No, I don't think I will be. Okay. Um, probably because I haven't been an active member in AACA, to be honest, for quite a while. Ah, okay. All right. I, I was just curious because I know they do have a lot of great seminars there, and I'm sure there's going to be one on period clothing and things. Mm. So, um, but, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I just I want to keep going on your maritime pre-war car registry. What what's the next step for you with this? Right now, it's keeping it moving. We've not. You might say someone we're a great little club that nobody's heard of. <laughs> okay. Um, because we haven't been really publicizing ourselves too much, but it has slowly been growing. So that um, as the cars are out, you know it's. A lot of it is being friendly to the people that show an interest. Um, I've read a couple of good articles on some of the various old car forums, and, you know, if you're in a show or on a run, is try not to give the cold shoulder to the public when they come up and ask about your car. And I sometimes have to work on it, too, because if I've gone out and I'm just out for a drive on a Sunday morning for coffee, I'm not always in a talking mood, but it really helps to you know you've got to just be pleasant and answer the questions because you're going to catch now and then you're going to catch someone who's really interested and they're the ones that are going to come along next right and it also makes good public relations so that people recognize we can you know drive the cars and not try to legislate us off the road either oh that's yeah you just said the l word do you do you have um i know like you'll leave here, or you'll the caffeine and coffee and or yeah, caffeine we, and uh, gas. We have co- well, we have caffeine and coffee. Yeah. Well, not, in various places, we've started a little bit. One of the gentlemen up in the valley who are in, who did the uh, drive night is now having like a monthly breakfast one, and it's a cars and coffee or cars and breakfast uh, through most of the year. And some people bring their cars, and some of us now don't always take our old car. But we'll drive an hour to get there for breakfast, mm-hmm. and we're starting to we're going to try and do a few uh, cars and coffee or Sunday morning things here around town. You That's know, those, those are those are shop. billboards for people driving by. You know, yeah. to find yeah. out. Gosh, look at all those old cars. I wonder what they're doing. Well, I think they're a great thing because they're they're informal. They don't have to be a member of a club once word gets out. And come and talk to people. Come and see what they're about. Yeah, we have we have them, and we get everything from hot rods to antique cars. Like Steve will show up with his 1910 Model T, and there'd be a guy with a lead sled, a 49 Mercury chopped and channeled and sectioned. And then there's Morgan trikes, and there's... Uh, only problem is sometimes you get some of the new cars that show up at them. What? That, that's fun cruise nights here too that are very popular but they tend to be toward the newer part of the collector hub yeah yeah and they it's the morning ones if we do a sunday or saturday morning cars and coffee that gets most of the older cars out they don't want to be out in the evening beautiful you can get caught in the dark yeah yeah well some of us can't see in the dark anymore to drive that's another challenge at night um what 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 else can we do 
in this hobby to get more youth into it? Do, uh, is school presentations, are the schools open to having you come in and do a presentation? Have you ever tried something like that? I haven't tried. I've read of people that have done that and done it successfully. Um, and it's, it's something to reach out to do. Yeah. Uh, an interesting thing I read about, and that they're trying in England, um, I read in one of the magazines there, because a lot of cases, the you know ownership, it's cost. Not all the early cars or, or collector cars are cheap. You know, there's some that you can get that are very affordable and some that aren't. But a lot of people starting out don't can't necessarily afford it right away. They've started a program over there uh, where, in a couple of cases, people will sort of donate. Uh, I shouldn't say donate their car, but will loan their car, mm-hmm. and they have younger members that are, have the interest, but not today, the financial conditions to get the car. And they'll allow them to take like a one-year stewardship, and they they apply for it. They do have to have some conditions, like they have to have a garage to put the car in, and they can't modify it. They need to take care of it, but they can have use of it for a year in their garage and enjoy the car and enjoy the hobby to get them interested to come along later and buy their own car. So it's quite an interesting concept. It is. Sometimes it's hard to get someone to say, I'm willing to loan a car for a year. Uh, to someone else, but they're trying that as a way to also get the interest out there. Wow. Yeah, well, David wants somebody to loan him an Austin Healey 3000 for a year, and he'd, he'd be over the moon. Yeah, it didn't quite work. I think the example cars here were a couple of Model A roadsters and things. <laughs> yeah. the, the concept sounded interesting. Yes, yeah. Well, mo- Model T's and Model A's are still fairly reasonable to buy, and, and they're such great cars. Oh, they are. I actually have a little more fun in the T than I do in the A. And you don't have to go fast to have fun. That's true. That's true. Jeff Lee, uh, the name of your organization? Maritime Pre-War Car Registry. We want to thank you for being on the Classic Car Show today. Sorry that uh, Steve's not here and uh, to enjoy uh, visiting with you, but I would like to ask, will you come back and give us an update on what's going on in Canada? I think we can do that. Great. Super. Okay. It has been our pleasure Thank having you. you on. Thank you. And uh, if we can do anything for you, please don't hesitate to uh, drop me a line, and we'll be glad to uh, work with you any way you can. And if you're uh, down in uh, uh, southern Canada, call Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, <laughs> come by and see us. Yeah. I will. Thanks, awesome. Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have 
the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.